Welcome back to the Help Me Improve My Podcast. I'm Harvey Jones, and I'm joined by clinical psychologist Damon Ashworth. Good afternoon, Damon. Good afternoon, Harvey. So today we're talking about improving your well-being, a broad topic, but one that comes up regularly in our work. It's also something Damon is particularly passionate about, having spent many years volunteering in Vanuatu, upskilling others in psychological first aid, and more recently has been presenting on well-being across rural Victoria. I'll be asking the questions today, so hopefully we can get the most out of what Damon has to offer on the topic of well-being. Before we get started, we wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the, of the land on which we meet today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we extend our respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Also, the information we cover today is general in nature, and for individualised support, we recommend you see a psychologist. If today's discussion causes you distress, please contact Lifeline on 131114. All right, so Damon... Uh, well, well-being can mean lots of things to lots of different people. Uh, so what exactly are we talking about today? All right. So, yeah, it is a broad topic, but I guess the World Health Organization, they've got a, a definition that I like to use sometimes. And they say that well-being is a resource for healthy living and a positive state of health that is more than the absence of an illness and enables us to function well psychologically, physically, emotionally, and socially. So, again, that's quite broad. Uh, another one was Foresight Mental Capital and Wellbeing Project. They said that wellbeing enables people to develop their potential, work productively and creatively, form positive relationships with others, and meaningfully contribute to the community. So essentially, it is this broad term of how can people live the best life that they can. Okay, I, I like that. How can people live the best life that they can? Because that makes it very individualized. Yeah. What does it look like to improve one's own wellbeing? Does this mean just seeking happiness? Uh, maybe. I think there's a few people that come in to see me uh, in a psychology room and they say, I just want to feel happy. And generally when people say that, I try to reframe it a little bit. Because if people say that they just want to feel happy all the time, I'm not sure how realistic that is. We know happiness is an emotion just like all the other emotions. And so if someone says, I want to feel happy all the time, I'm not sure how healthy that is, both physically and psychologically. So I think it's better to get to a point of maybe feeling content and satisfied with their life. And I think we can aim for people to feel more satisfied with how they're feeling. So sometimes there's a, a cantrell ladder question where they ask people, imagine your life on a ladder from zero to 10, where zero is the worst life that you can imagine and 10 is the best life that you can imagine. Where would you put yourself on that ladder at the moment? And, and generally, if you ask people that and you say, all right, let's aim for a higher score on that then we're hopefully heading in the right direction rather than just trying to be happier. Hmm. I, I really like that latter concept. I feel like lots of people could relate to that. In terms of, and, and you know, me, you make a good point about happiness being an emotion. You know, we've touched on that before, how emotions can come and go and sort of chasing them can, it can sometimes, you know, get us into trouble. What are some consequences of not prioritizing your well-being? I would say there can be a lot, but essentially there can be a number of people that I'll see where it just doesn't feel like their life is quite in balance. And then they'll come in and they're working 60, 70 hours a week and their health really gets neglected. They're neglecting their relationships, their family, their diet, they're not exercising, they're not sleeping well. And I think if people are focusing too much on making money at the expense of everything else, then it really is going to take a toll on our well-being and eventually our health too. Because it's so broad, I imagine it 
it's quite hard to kind of narrow down where to start. So how, how might you start this process with someone? If someone's saying to you, Damon, I really want to improve my well-being, where would you start and how, how might you start that conversation? Yeah. So if it's an initial session, we will do a, a full clinical assessment. So people come in and we try to take a whole picture. We don't just go straight into here's what you should do. It's more so what is going on for the person. And we try to understand on a few different levels. So what is the main issue that they're wanting to come in and address, but also what are some of the factors that are leading to that being a problem for them? And by the end of the session, we get to what are those specific goals that they'd like to do? So often I'd say, okay, let's say you're feeling a bit more satisfied with your life. What differences would you hope it would make? And I try to make it as specific as possible. So I don't know if you heard, heard about SMART goals before, listeners, um, but the more that we can make goals that people have for their life specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-framed, the more that we can then aim towards that. We've got a sense of where someone's at, where they want to go, and what we can do to get there. And so you set some SMART goals with the patient or the client and then um, start to kind of work out where to where to start and where to get things rolling. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully if you have, you know, between one and three things that people really want to focus at, then we we know what we can do from that. So if someone says, I want to sleep better because then I want to feel better during the day and then I want to be able to spend more time with the people that matter to me, then we've got three main goals there. You know, we've got the the mood that they're feeling, we've got how they're sleeping but also the quality of their relationships. And we can come up with specific ways of getting a sense of where they're at at the baseline and also track those over time to see how they're improving. And so with those SMART goals, would you try and help people break them down even smaller into sort of manageable steps so they don't feel so overwhelming? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if it was with sleep, for example, you might say, what is it about your sleep that's a problem? What would you like to improve? And it might be that they're spending two hours in bed every night trying to get to sleep at the start of the night and they really want to bring that down. So then we'd have specific things to aim at to try to reduce that time in bed. And then hopefully that has flow on effects as well. Uh, in terms of their mood, it might just be on a scale from one to five. How are they feeling during the day or how satisfied are they feeling with the day? And then again, you can see how's that going over time. And the last one's with the relationship qualities. So I'd say with most things, I probably ask on a scale from one to five, where are you at at the moment with this? And then we can keep asking those questions over time to see how they're progressing. What are some signs in ourselves that might indicate that we're not prioritizing our well-being? There's a few different things, but essentially they're not going to be feeling as energized as they'd like to be feeling. So that's one main thing. You know, if someone's feeling sad most of the time, nearly all the time, then they're likely to be feeling depressed. But if things feel a bit off balance, then you know that you're not going to be feeling as energized and as as satisfied with things as you want to be. So I guess I'd really get people to tune in and just, again, ask that latter question and say, you know, from each day, how do I feel like that day was for me? And if it's not exactly how you want it to be, then it's about saying, okay, how much of this stuff is in my control? So again, I I know that it can be quite broad, but just this sense that things aren't working quite how we hope they would be. Yeah. I imagine, is this something that sometimes you might need to point out for clients or, or help them recognize that these things aren't going right so that, you know, they might come to you saying, oh, you know, I just don't feel as energized or I just don't feel like I'm as, you know, I'm, I'm just not feeling myself. And then you know, it might be part of your role to kind of help them recognize that maybe focusing on some of these larger areas of their well-being might be where they could get started. 
Absolutely. So I'd say a lot of people that do come in to see a psychologist the first time, they're not a hundred percent clear on what's exactly wrong in their life, but they do know that something isn't quite how they want it to be. So, you know, the first session we are going to really explore that and get a sense of what it is that feels wrong to the person, what it is they'd like to improve rather than them just having, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. Sometimes people will do that, but a lot of the times people just say something doesn't feel quite right. Right. So that means that some people, you know, might be picking this up in others, family members, partners, um, friends. So what are some ways or some signs that someone might not be prioritizing their well-being that we might see and how could we uh, help someone get some help or, or even suggest some things that they might be able to focus on? Yeah. So I think as a friend or a family member, what we'd really want to look for is a, a bit of a change in how people normally are. So if someone's feeling you know, quite different to their normal bubbly self in that they're not interacting as much, they're isolating themselves more, or maybe they're drinking a bit more or eating a bit healthy, overworking. So there could be all these signs that things have shifted a bit from what they're normally like. And that'd be a nice time to just check in. So I know there's the, the world, are you okay day? But it's around this idea of just noticing when something feels a little bit off in other people as well, to just tune in and saying, hey, how are you doing? Are you feeling satisfied with how things are? Is there anything you'd like to change? And if it seems like there's something that's going on for the person that's not quite what they want it to be, you can also suggest, you know, is there someone that you'd like to talk to about this? Because we know that psychologists can help with this a lot. Yeah, I think that's great. And there's some really good practical um, strategies to help start that conversation with regard to the are you okay resources and, and recognizing that change in someone else is incredibly important. So, you know, that's where friends and family and coworkers are placed really well to ask those questions and recognize those changes because you obviously know what the person's like ordinarily and so can pick up those subtle changes. What are some practical ways that people could get started today in improving their well-being? Okay. So there was one book that I read called Flourish by Martin Seligman. Now, he's the, the father of positive psychology. He's written a few books on it. Uh, but this one book, Flourish, it goes into what he calls his PERMA uh, model of well-being. And he really says that there's five elements that are crucial for looking after our well-being. So the first one is the P, which stands for positive emotions. So when you think about what are the things in your life that bring on positive emotions for you? What would you say that brings on the sense of excitement, of joy, of gratitude, of love? And are you doing enough of those things in your life? Now, if they're things that you know can bring this on and you're not doing that much, what if we set a few goals to try to do some of those things over the next week? What difference could that make for you? So the P is positive emotions. The next is about engagement. So engagement is sometimes referred to as flow, but it's this sense where you're no longer in your head thinking about things and you just get fully immersed in a situation. Now, I know for me growing up, playing sport would always do that for me. I'd love getting into that state of flow and just being in the moment. Uh, video games would do that a lot for me as well. And surprisingly, work does that for me a fair bit too. But what are those things where you do just get lost in the moment and really enjoy being immersed in it? And if so, can you start to do more of those things too? Uh, the next one is positive relationships. So who are those people in your life that you just feel calm around, that you feel accepted by, that maybe give you a bit more energy rather than drain you? And if you can think of who those people are, maybe even write a list down, how often do you see them? Do you see them as much as you'd like to? And if not, could you reach out to them? Could you try to 
set up a weekly catch-up or something that you could do more regularly with those people so that you get more of the benefits of those positive relationships. Uh, the M is for meaning or purpose. So if you feel like there's not much meaning or purpose in your life, how can we go out and seek that? What are those things that tend to feel really meaningful to you? you know, if you had only a week left on this planet, what would you do? How would you spend that time? And that's a good way to get a sense of what would feel most meaningful to you. And then the last one is about achievement and accomplishment. So we know that sometimes it feels nice to just be able to tick some things off. So it can be really helpful even if you just start with three goals each day. You know, what would be three things that you'd like to do for the day? And then if you get to the end of the day and each day you're ticking those things off, how is that going to feel for you? Hopefully it's going to give you that greater sense of achievement and accomplishment and feel like you're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I can see a lot of the ways that you were talking about earlier around sort of smart goals and how that would be, that would work into some of these things by setting some targets and some things that we want to work on. Um, and that might be around relationships and um, engagement and, um, you know, having, getting some positive, positive relationships in our life. Um, but then also the achievement of it. So actually having the goal written down that's achievable and then ticking it off as you go. Yeah, exactly. Is that your kind of thinking when you're approaching it like that? Yeah, generally. I, I do think the perma well, well-being model is great. I think one thing it doesn't always account for too much um, is Ryan and Desi, they've also got this self-determination theory. And they talk about relatedness and competence. And both of those are kind of accounted for in the perma model. But it doesn't talk as much about autonomy. How much independence or control do you feel like you have in your life at the moment? And also, are you making your decisions because you want to, or are you doing it because you feel like you should? So generally, if people are doing all these things because they feel like they should all the time or they have to, we know that it's not going to be as energizing if we're doing things because we want to. And so even if you don't change what you're doing, if you can tell yourself a reason why you want to do it, it should make a positive difference. Yeah, and that that works in perfectly with you know some of our other, was well, particularly our um, discussion around motivation um, earlier on this year, um, and and the difference between sort of making that decision and leading that decision yourself, or feeling like your your uh, the motivation is coming from external, and how much of a difference that makes in terms of follow through and satisfaction when actually achieving things. If people are engaging in these positive things, like what sort of changes might you see in terms of their well-being? Um, hopefully that they're just feeling a, a lot better. They're feeling more satisfied in those areas that we spoke about initially. Uh, you know, socially, they're performing better at work. They're uh, feeling healthier, both mentally and physically. And just overall, we are going to see that they're hopefully flourishing and functioning at a much higher rate. Now, are there any traps or myths that, you know, kind of are associated with chasing better well-being? Yeah, I do think happiness can be a really tricky thing to chase for. We know that, um, you know, even the role of gratitude can be really important for mental health and well-being as well. There's a podcast I was listening to a few weeks ago and a psychiatrist on there was saying that the two most important things for our mental health was agency and gratitude. And so, you know, we're always chasing after this life that we don't have because we feel like, you know, we're not happy. And when we get there, we're going to be happy. Then maybe that can be a bit of a trap. So part of it is also being grateful for some of the things that we do have in our life and really appreciating those and building those rather than always chasing things that we don't have. 
and I suppose that comes back to you know that sense of autonomy and self-drive and that I'm I'm kind of going for it um, rather than you know looking at other people and seeing things that others are doing and and wanting that for ourselves yeah i definitely think that's a big trap as well if we're comparing ourselves too much to other people or what we see on tv or in movies and we're thinking oh you know kim kardashian has the best life and i just want to be rich like her or you know have these things that maybe aren't really your core values then we know that that could potentially be a bit of a trap and not necessarily lead to greater well-being for you Great. Now I'm going to, just in your experience, I'm going to throw a couple of things at you and I just want to get your response or, or if you think this sort of thing is, is useful to kind of chase from a wellbeing perspective. Um, so the first one would be, you know, how important is exercise um, when we're sort of setting up these conversations around wellbeing? Yeah, I think it's hugely important. I, I read a book recently called Outlive by Dr. Peter Atiyah. I, I really like the book just because it does get back to those basics. So the four things that he thinks are crucial for us to work on before we try to work on anything else is exercise. Um, and that showed to be the most important for our longevity in that if people that exercise regularly might have like a 50% lower chance of, of dying over the next 10 years than people that don't exercise at all. So if we're not doing any exercise, we know people that get out there and start moving more regularly, they're going to have health benefits in that, both in terms of mental as well as physical uh, strength training, even one or two times a week can have a positive impact on our mental health. For cardio, we probably needed about half an hour, three or four times a week to have that same benefit. Uh, in terms of sleep, we know that if people are only sleeping three or four hours a night, that's going to be massive. So we need to get people to be sleeping a little bit more, You know, not spending 10 hours in bed every night, but maybe the amount of time that they actually need for sleep. So if they need seven hours, if they're in bed for seven and a half or eight hours of sleep, that's going to make a big difference in only sleeping that three or four hours. Uh, and nutrition. You know, if people are just eating junk food all the time and not eating at all, we know it's not going to lead to our well-being being as good as it can be. So trying to get into those regular two or three meals a day and also, you know, eating fresh fruit and veggies and non-processed food as much as possible, that is going to make a difference. And the last factor that he was talking about was psychological well-being. So I'd say that was the one area where he wasn't as prescriptive in terms of how you're doing it, but he definitely recommended going out and seeing a therapist if you needed to and working on some strategies. Yeah, great. I think that's um, super practical. And you've you've ticked off a few of the things that I was going to throw at you, so um, nicely done. Um, the next one um, I was going to say was money and more money. You know, can that improve our well-being? Yeah, I think it can. There is a nice idea that you know money doesn't lead to happiness at all, but if people are really struggling financially and they're feeling really stressed financially, then having a little bit more money and feeling a bit more financially secure is going to make a difference. We know that once we get past that seventy-five or eighty thousand a year, the increased money isn't always going to lead to the same increases in happiness. Yeah, and I think the thing that I've noticed a lot is, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, is around you know, people wanting more money, again, that relationship, you know, in real financial stress, it certainly does seem to have an impact um, in terms of, you know, dollar to dollar uh, ratio, but then kind of above a certain amount, it's more about sort of, or at least what I've experienced is it's more about having the tools and um, being able to manage money more effectively. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I would say, Say, you know, if someone's already making $200,000 a year, 
I really don't see the increase from 200 to 400,000 making a huge difference in their life and in their quality of life. I, I do think if people are making enough money, but then they take another job and that leads to them working 30 or 40 hours extra a week. And then that just means that they can't look after themselves. So that could actually have a negative impact too. So yeah, I think if you can be smart around the money and invest it well and do it in ways that you can live the life that you'd like, that's going to be much better than just always working more and more and trying to make more and more. Right. Uh, the next one I had on my list was sex and intimacy. Uh, I'm not too sure about the data on sex per se in terms of how many times you have sex. But we know if people aren't having any of that, then getting into a close relationship, as long as it's a positive one, should have a really positive impact on how they're feeling. Uh, so we, we know that relationship warmth, it was the Harvard study of adult development, was the number one predictor of long-term health and happiness in tracking people for over 80 years. So if people don't have any close relationships in their life, it's definitely worth investing time to try to create those and to build those. But if people are already in a pretty satisfying relationship where maybe they're having sex, you know, once a week or once a month, it's not like you can really say to your partner, hey, we need to have sex five times a week in order for me to be happier. But it might still be about what can we do to build up that connection and intimacy over time. Yeah, and I think that's the key, right? It's about um it's about connection and and coming together, you know, and having that supportive relationship um as being kind of the most important aspect. Um, and that as part of that, that might include sex and intimacy, but it may also include other things. Um, and there's lots of things that people value in their relationships. I'll ask you one more and that is, uh, creativity and what sort of role do you see as creativity having in improving people's wellbeing? Yeah. I, I would say that there are some people that are maybe a more creative people. And for them, I think it's really important for them to have that creative outlet in their life. I'd say most people are going to benefit by having some form of creative outlet, but I do think there are particular people that are even more creative. And if they don't have it in their life, we know it will have a negative impact on their well-being. So it's about seeing, you know, across the years, what have I done to be creative? What has felt good? And if I've stopped doing some of those things, can I get back to that? If there's something I've always wanted to do and I've never done before, what would it be like if I took that class or did that a little bit? And what benefits will I notice that it could have? If it has those benefits, how can I keep it up? So, you know, again, coming back to that individualized aspect, if we identify it as a you know key aspect of our life, a key value, then um, actually getting after that uh, may improve how we're feeling. But if it's not something that's going to make things more meaningful, then that might be kind of lost energy trying to chase something that maybe doesn't have a huge impact. Yeah, exactly. And anything we're trying to do, if it's really not something we want to do, it's going to be pretty hard to keep it up as well. So you'll notice if it's an uphill battle, but if it's not, if it feels great and then it's just creating more time, then it's worth pursuing. Awesome. So um, to summarize, Damon, what are some of the top three things that you would say uh, for people to improve their well-being? I, I do think it's important to start with the basics if you can. So I spoke about those ones of exercise, nutrition, sleep, psychological well-being. I do think we want to start to look after those basic needs first and try to build up from there. Uh, the next one would be go back to some of those perma model questions and see, is there any area at the moment that feels like it's missing in my life? And if it does, how can I start to build in some more of those things? What would be a few things, one or two that I could do this week? And what difference could that make over time? And probably the third factor would be that cantrell ladder question of on a scale from zero to 10, how satisfied are you with your life currently? 
Now, the average in Australia is somewhere between seven and eight. I think in Finland, that's the highest in the world. It's over eight. But if it's down at that four or five, then I think there are some things that you could do that hopefully can improve that over time. So then if you think about it, all right, if I'm at a four or a five, what would help me to get to that six or seven on the wrong? And again, what might be some specific goals that I can set over the next month or two that can help me to move towards that? And if I'm not sure at all, but I know it's not quite high, maybe it would be time to go and talk to a psychologist. Awesome. I really uh, I really like that summary, Damon. You've uh, put it together quite well. And uh, uh, hopefully we've tackled a very broad topic and and given some like pretty practical uh, suggestions for people um, to uh, put in place in their own lives. Yeah, thank you. And if any topic or anything I spoke about today, people want to learn about a little bit more, uh, please just let us know and we can always talk about it more in detail in the future. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I'm definitely keen for recommendations or suggestions on topics we can cover. So that that concludes another episode um, of the Help Me Improve My Podcast. Thanks, Damon, uh, for coming on again. And, uh, and we'll catch you in a month when we cover the next topic.